listening to We're Talking Drums, bringing extreme discussions from the world's top drummers to your ear holes. This episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one choice for drumsticks. They provide the wood you need to make the beats you deserve. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Now with your host, Corey Hoffing. Welcome to episode 47 of the We're Talking Drums podcast. I am your host, Corey Hoffing, and I apologize for the late upload this week. is two days uh, later than usual, but uh, we definitely have a lot more scheduling to do as of late with everybody kind of getting back out on the road. And, uh, you know, it, it's become difficult, but we're making it happen. We're making it happen. I have some killer drummers lined up to chat with heading into the end of the year here. And uh, we we ain't stopping these episodes. You're going to get one a week, every week, no matter what. All right. So that being said, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you like these conversations, and if you want these conversations to continue, please like just share with your friends. Help this podcast grow. Help more people hear these conversations. And uh, that's all we ask. And, and we will keep putting them out. All right. Keep getting your favorite drummers on here to talk about their dogs and, you know, everything that isn't drums and maybe a little bit of drums. All right. Just just a little. Um, so, OK. All that being said, dudes, uh, we have a very, very awesome guest this this week. His name is Tyler Gresh and he plays for the band Aether Realm. Aether Realm is an insanely talented uh, melodic death metal band, I guess you'd call them at this point. Easy enough. Um, they hail from North Carolina. They are on Napalm Records because they're awesome. And Napalm is the best place to be. Uh, and he loves blast beats. Um, he didn't say that. That didn't come from him. That came from me. Uh, I love his blast beats. Is that weird to say? I don't know. We are playing a show together, Toronto, December 20th at the Opera House. Uh, they will be on tour with Unleash the Archers and Seven Kingdoms. And I will be playing for the band Lotharo, who will be opening the show. So make sure you grab those tickets, support and sell this motherfucker out because uh, Inertia Entertainment and Noel would really appreciate it. Come on, let's do it. Let's sell this thing out. Uh, go grab your tickets right now. I will put a link in the show notes and everywhere I can. Go get your tickets if you're in Toronto. If you're not in Toronto, I didn't even think of that. If you are not in Toronto, go see this tour. Like, this lineup is insane. Aether Realm, Seven Kingdoms, Unleash the fucking archers all right you're not gonna want to miss this check your local place i know it's all east coast stuff this time around this is the second leg of this tour uh these guys are crushing it uh i don't think they can make it to europe this year so they're just doing round two of of north america because fuck it why not all right bringing keeping power metal alive uh, all right, so back to Tyler Gresh. Uh, he is a fucking killer dude. We talked a lot about uh, touring, uh, the writing process within Aether Realm, uh, the new record, Redneck Vikings from Hell, and releasing that during a pandemic. It came out May 1st, uh, 2020. If you haven't checked that out, go check that out because it is sick. And all their other records tarot one chosen by the gods like everything they have done uh up until now has been absolutely insanely good so go check that out come see them live that's all for me here is my conversation with tyler gresh of aether realm tyler welcome to the we're talking drums podcast how you doing buddy how you doing it's been a long time uh when when was the last time i saw you that would have been we played the opera house together um was that with ailstorm yeah so i was just thinking about this um it was probably yeah the opera house with ailstorm i'm thinking 2000 
17 maybe might have been the last time something like that yeah i guess it was yeah it, it, that was um that was a makeup date right so you guys yeah. were touring with um it was you guys necrogoblicon and alestorm and then you guys couldn't do the canadian date so you later made it up uh but necrogoblicon wasn't a part of that exactly so, yep that's right yeah so yeah, yeah we was, we did it and it was like i forget if it was in memory's trying to serve me right but i think it was like early in the year definitely winter time you know uh never been into canada that time of year so there was like i remember we drove i think it was uh where were we like quebec city going to toronto i think with the toronto date was the last show and um I remember leaving Quebec City and it was just like crazy blizzard, just like snow everywhere. And we were driving, we stayed at some hotel, like we started our drive out of Quebec City to head towards Toronto. And I remember we got a hotel, we maybe slept like, I don't know, three hours or something. And then by the time we woke up, there was like a van parked out front and half of the van was like submerged in snow. It was insane. And we were just like, this is this is it. We are, we're experiencing true Canadian winter right now. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah. And dude, that drive from uh, Quebec City to Toronto is not a fun one. No. Like, I can't remember how far it was, but it was it was a haul for sure. Yeah. Like, honestly, in the winter, you're looking at it probably about like 10 hours, it, like winter driving. Um, cause I know Toronto to Montreal is about, is exactly 600 kilometers, which usually takes about six hours. So, okay. um, like summertime, you can usually get to Quebec city in like eight, uh, eight to nine. Uh, but dude, I, I, I know we've done it in the winter and it's taken us close to 12 sometimes. Jeez, man, if you man. hit like Montreal traffic and stuff too, it's, it's rough. So doing that as a straight haul is, uh is a feat in itself and then you're like in fucking a blizzard and yeah yeah you guys definitely got like the canadian winter treatment which is always fun yeah now, imagine imagine doing a whole like two week uh tour in the winter like that we did that one year in january where it's just it was like two straight weeks of just the coldest van sleeps I've ever done in my life. <laughs> like it was the worst shit I've ever experienced. We're never doing that in shit again. No, it's like not happening, man. Yeah, that sounds brutal. Do I mean is our touring like do bands tour a lot in like the winter months in Canada, or is it one of those things where people just avoid it and try to wait till it like warms up a little bit? Yeah, as far as like local band stuff goes, you don't really <laughs> tour in the winter because yeah. you're not going across. You're not going across Canada. Right. Uh, I've known bands that have done that. Like my buddies in Panzerfaust, they they were touring with uh, Cryptopsy, and I want to say it was like Belfagor, and they they ended up flipping their van going through the Rockies, and like they do, that's terrifying. Like Rockies going through a mountain drive is scary enough sometimes um then you add in snow and ice and all those other variables that could come up <laughs> during a canadian winter and you're like holy fuck man so they actually they actually did they flipped their van into like a ravine luckily everybody was was safe and and made it out like wow unscathed yeah yeah dude because that you hear about like guys dying or oh like, yeah getting limbs chopped off and like crazy shit absolutely right? so that's that's like my worst nightmare mare is that like that kind of situation like you know like you'll do a lot of like overnight drives on tour especially if you're in areas where there's of course long distances in between the shows and you know my biggest fear is like oh god we're gonna have to do some crazy overnight drive through some torrential you know torrential rain or or some sort of precipitation or something you know and and just the worst possible scenario is like flipping your car, running off the road or something. I mean, knock on wood, you know, we haven't had any of that stuff happen. And uh, I'm very fortunate for that. But, you know, that's the risk. And it sounds like being up there in that during that time of year is certainly, you know, exponentially worse. Yeah, man, it's scary. And so 
realistically, if you're playing live in Canada, you're doing extremely local shows, like weekends here and there. You don't tour. Like, they, you just, you don't really do it. Uh, I've known some tours that go on, but you, you rarely get any tours between, I would say, mid-December to March. Like, you don't really get many tours coming through. And then it's, like, the big guys who are just doing Montreal, Toronto, and then they, they dip. Then they're out. Right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Um, so, oh, for any of you audience that um, or listeners that don't know, Tyler is the drummer for Aether Realm. I guess we never really introduced <laughs> that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you guys are epic. You guys are fast. You guys are brutal there's some blasting you know let's yeah let's get into kind of the 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 progression that aether realm has taken because uh i found out about you guys off your first ep um and i was i was absolutely blown away not only by the the songs and and um the writing and, and and but your blasting all right, I'm gonna, gonna I'm just gonna go there. The blasting on Raven Song, I was like, holy shit! <laughs> you know, like it, it blew my mind. I was like, dude, this is this is fucking top notch blasting, uh, and uh, I loved it. Along with the melodicness over top of everything and the intensity. Mm-hmm. And at the time, man, you guys were just like a very local band. Um, and, but you, I, I heard. I heard your name in conversations with all the touring bands that would go through your area in, in North Carolina there, right? Like my buddy uh, Paul from Blackguard. Oh, yeah, would yeah. Constantly, you guys would be the opener for like all of the tours. Right, yeah. Right? We played we played with them uh, in Raleigh, which is uh, where I currently live in North Carolina. Um, it was like them, I'm trying to think uh, if it was... Insiferum, Insiferum, and I mean, there's a few bands. It was like, I don't know if it was like a, I don't think it was a pagan fest necessarily, but it was no, like that, one of those big like was, Finnish um, metal tour type things, you know? That was the uh, From Afar tour. Oh, yeah. Insiferum, yeah, a, yeah, that, yeah, that was the, the that album cycle, because I remember seeing that show in, in Toronto. Okay. It was fucking badass. I love that record, and yeah. Same, Anyways, man. Continue. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I remember they played and, uh, yeah, we were like, oh, this band's sick. I hadn't heard of them prior. And then I know Jake was like super impressed and I think he linked up with Paul on Facebook or whatever, you know, and they, they kind of had a little bit of, you know, message each other sometimes. I know we played at Canada a couple of times and Paul came out to the shows, but yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting, you know, like starting out, we would play a lot of those like you know, pay to play gigs where you're like paying your dues, like just, you know, you got to sell 50 tickets or whatever. We did a few of those. Um, there was a, you venue. think you're paying your dues, but actually you're not really you're paying your dues. You're just paying. <laughs> you're, you're paying for the quote unquote promoters exactly. drug habits. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. you're paying. No, there, there's really no dues. It's, it's just purely like, you know, it's, it's kind of shit to be honest. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, plenty of bands do it right. It's not, uh, I'm sure every band, in existence at some point, you know, if they've tried to do something with their career and try to play with bigger bands, they've been in that phase where they've done that. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But there was a, you know, a couple of venues in Virginia that we, we went and did that with, I think there was, was a Corpora Clani and like Teresis. I think we did a show up there and did that. Um, And I want to say that, that, that Raleigh show when we played with, um, you know, Paul and Blackguard, I want to say that, like, that might have been around that time. I don't know if that show was a pay-to-play situation or if we just got lucky and, you know, we were the only North Carolina band that had a similar sounding uh, style of music to these other bands, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I just, I remember that show distinctly, and, and that was really early on, you know, in our, uh, kind of in our, in our uh, starting and kind of our formative first four or five years or whatever. Yeah, you guys came out of the gate strong because that two-song EP was like, fuck it, dude. I, I had that on repeat for weeks when I first heard it. <laughs> 
So yeah, dude, you're, what, you've, you've heard of us from the beginning. So, you know, you were, you were definitely, uh, aware of us from like the very beginning of it, which is cool. Yeah, man. I, I'm an OG, man. You Absolutely. are an OG, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually the, the first Canadian show that you guys played, I believe, uh, was with my band Crimson Shadows. It was. Yeah. So, and was, yeah. I think Wilder Run was on that tour with us too, I believe. Um, yes. What yeah, was the name were. of that venue? I remember that show distinctly was, because I remember being on the third floor and we had to bring yeah. everything up and I was like, oh my God, we got to, we got to walk <laughs> up, you know, three flights of stairs. This is going to be brutal. <laughs> yeah. Anybody from Toronto knows that's hard luck. Yeah. That's hard luck for you. You get the okay. hard luck workout before, yeah, before, yeah, before the show. You, play, you get it all like, you know, loose and limber and everything. You're like, got to take yeah. like a, you know. A 30 minute just chill sit down drink some water before you uh you know set your stuff up <laughs> yeah before you have to go do sound check you got to take a break 100 percent man <laughs> uh, <laughs> everybody everybody if from toronto who's played that venue knows you know knows all about that the cardio workout i i personally love it i love getting a good sweat in yeah before setting up and doing sound check because dude um i think it was that show as well that I set up and was doing sound check and my kicks were so terrible because my I was cold because um, the, the show at the Opera House that we last played with you guys. Yeah, I was so cold that as soon as I went to do the first song and, and do like an actual check, it was like, holy shit, like my muscles are so tense, like uh -huh. I couldn't play yeah so dude and there's been there's been a couple shows like that like we played in cleveland when we were on a small run with battlecross and the it was middle of january and freezing cold and like a middle of a snowstorm so the attendance wasn't very good because of the massive snowstorm right. and then the side the side door was open during our set because the opening band was loading out like a bunch <laughs> of assholes it's like do you think and they dude, did that on purpose or something it's like oh we're gonna screw these guys seriously dude there was like snow blowing onto the stage <laughs> like oh what God. the fuck yeah man that was brutal uh but uh that's why i love venues uh that have staircases and stuff. So you are forced to get a slight workout in before you got to do anything remotely musical. Cause but, I need it, man. I, I need it. If I, if I could have a gym on the road, that'd be fucking awesome. I would love that. <laughs> Dude. I a hundred percent agree. I mean, you know, yeah, I've played those shows too, where you're for, you know, whatever, if it's like just cold out or you haven't really like loosened up or done a warm up or anything like that and you just go straight on the kit and it's like your limbs just don't work. It's, it's just, they're, you know, they're, you're not moving. Like your, your muscles are just like tight as crap. And you're like, man, this is going to be a rough one. You know, like, you know what you're getting yourself into. And like, yeah, like during, you know, playing a show, like as you're playing through songs, you know, sometimes that can like, you can loosen your body up obviously after you play. But if it starts out that way, it's typically not a good thing, <laughs> especially when you're playing super fast music and you're like, man, you know, the, you gotta have your limbs gotta be like good to go, you know, from the get go. Yeah, man. Do you, do you have like a specific warm up routine that you usually do before a show? It's, it depends. Like I try to, um, I wouldn't say it's like very regimented in the sense that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 you know, uh, typically I try to stretch at the very least, you know, it kind of depends on like how much time I have and all that kind of stuff, but I'll try to stretch, you know, I'll, I'll kind of like stretch my forearms and my calves and legs and just try to like, kind of just make sure I'm like limber, right? Like at the very minimum, that's what I try to do. Um, and then if I have the time and the space, you know, a place to actually warm up, I'll just kind of, you know, if I have a practice pad, I'll just like, you know, kind of blaze through some singles, doubles, paradiddles, just to try to like get my hands kind of worked, you know, loose and, and kind of ready to rock. So, I mean, just simple stuff like that. I, I don't do anything too crazy. And, and it's really hit or miss depending on the situation and where we're at, if there's even an area for me to, to do that, you know, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of generally what I try to do if if I'm able. That is the the hardest part. Um and even I even find that even uh when we have like a, a green room or a very specific area, I find it difficult because I I feel like if I have my my kick pads and 
uh, my like uh, all my practice pads out and I'm going at it and trying to get warmed up. Like I am full on like annoying the shit out of the rest of my band. That's just trying to relax <laughs> yeah, yeah, and do stuff because it, it's regardless of it just being pads, it's loud. Right. Oh, so for sure. I, yeah. It still makes noise. Right. Like it's like, it's less noise oh, yeah. than hitting an actual drum, but it's, it still produces sound. Right. Yeah. And I just, I, uh, I encountered this the last show I played. Um, we were headlining and there was like a full green room and it was just me and the vocalist in the green room for most of the night. Like it, I'm still a little like kind of uncomfortable with crowds and everything getting back into stuff. Like we're yeah. not a, we weren't at full capacity. We are now, um, in, in Toronto and Ontario at least, uh, for shows. But, um, it was still like, it was still pretty full. And I knew that there was a ton of people that I would have to talk to and everything. I just like did not feel overly comfortable before a show doing that. Um, so I, I just hid in the green room the whole night because uh, <laughs> yeah. we had it, right? So, oh, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, but even just having my pedals out and I play on it for like two minutes, I'd be like, I'm just pissing everyone off. Right. <laughs> like I have that inner uh, inner monologue of just like, come on, you don't need to be doing this, even though I do because I want to be, I want to, well, as soon as I step on stage, I want to be performing. Right. Right. Like yep. performing level. Uh, and I need to do my warm ups. Like if I find three to four shows into a tour is when I can lay back on the warm ups, right? Dude, a hundred percent agree with that. Absolutely. Cause like that first to me, like the f- touring, you know, it's like the first, I usually say it's like first four or five shows. You're like working out all those kinks. You're like screwing up. You get all like the flubs out of the way. Right. And then, mm-hmm. then after that, it's like smooth sailing. It's like, you know, not just you, but like even your the band, like you kind of lock in, right? Like you kind of everyone's sort of firing on all cylinders at that point. But yeah, man, like those first few shows, they can be rough for sure. <laughs> I always like I'm like, man, I feel bad for like when we do a tour. It's like, oh, this first three or four or five shows, like I'm sorry, like you know, like <laughs> we'll come back like maybe the end and redo those shows because we'll do a better job probably afterwards, you know. Dude, that's a great idea. Yeah. Just like rebook at the end of the tour, like do the first couple shows and like they're free. They're free right, shows. Right, exactly. Whatever. Just we, be like, yeah. you know, mar- or market those first shows is like these are our these are our warm up shows. So they're gonna be tickets are gonna be half the price or something. <laughs> yeah. Do you know do you know what's funny about speaking of warm up shows? Um when we toured with Necro Goblicon, our first show was in um green i think it's greendale la so it's like just outside of los angeles and um we we drove all the way from toronto to make it for this first show so we had nothing along the way like we were literally down to like the day crossing the borders when we got our work visas and so we we booted it uh three days of like 14 to 15 hours of driving each day. And we booted it down there. We get there. Um, there's like hassles with our merch. Like all of our merch was getting sh- shipped to that, the venue that day. They wouldn't drop it off to us cause the venue wasn't open. And we had to, we went down to like downtown LA, like UPS store and like had to get it there, but then they wouldn't let us get it. It was like the biggest headache of a day. And after like three days of straight driving and then we play the show and it was like 15 people. Oh no! <laughs> we're like, oh. what happened? What ha- What happened, guys? Like, I thought you guys were from LA. Like, I thought this was like a hometown big show for you to kick off the tour. Right? And they're like, no, dude. Th- this was a warm up show. Like, we didn't even expect you guys to be here. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? No, dude? <laughs> like, that's awful. Yeah, man. that's yeah. So it was like. Hopefully the rest of the tour isn't like this, um, you know, because if we just like dropped all that money on work visas and, uh, you know, and drove like fucking three days straight to do this. But the rest of the tour is fucking awesome. And it, like night after night, like almost 
kept getting better and better and better and better turnouts. And we were like selling so much merch. It was great. But that first night was like, holy fuck, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. That's, that's so demoralizing. Like you, we've done that too. Like you you drive, especially if you have to do this crazy drive. Like I don't think we've done anything that insane. So like you guys definitely like, that's crazy to drive that far, you know, to make it to the first show. But you know, we've done like, all right, we had to drive like 12, 14 hours to the next show or whatever. And then you get there and it's just like such a flop. And you're like, man, all of that like turmoil of getting to this place only for it to like just suck completely. And it's just like so demoralizing. So you're like, why did we even do this thing? You know, but I'm glad to hear that for your sake, you know, for that tour, everything ended up turning around, obviously. So it worked out. <laughs> Yeah, man, it was a good time. And I love those, uh, the guys in Necrogoblicon, man, getting to know them and, um, the Manx as well, who are fucking sweet dudes. I don't know if you know that band at all, uh, but they are fucking awesome guys. Like I still, I still talk to, to some of those dudes all the time and it's great. It's funny how you like, you don't know you don't even know these bands music to begin with sometimes when you're touring with them, like you book the tour and you're like, yeah, we're touring with this band as a headliner. And then there's like a couple other bands on the bill. You don't even know their music. And then you end up becoming like lifelong friends with them. Like it's, it's just, it's crazy to think about, man. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like one of my favorite things about touring is just kind of your, yeah, you don't, a lot of times, like you said, you don't, you've never played with these people. You've never met them. You know, nothing really about them. And then you go on this crazy, like experience together that, you know, is just like, oh, we're going to have, you know, be on the road and, and play these shows and go to all these places and travel together for like weeks on end. And you share that kind of experience together. And like you said, I mean, by the end of it, you're like best friends. Right. And then you those friendships carry on for a long time. And, uh, yeah, that to me is like one of my favorite things about touring is just like the people you get to meet. And like, I'd say like, we haven't been on a tour with a band that we didn't get along with really well, you know, like everyone has been great, you know, every single time. And I guess, I don't know if that's just pure luck or, or what, but, you know, I think a lot of the bands that are in our circles for sure, are like, you know, they're generally good people, right? Like they're just, you know, they're all trying to do the same thing. And, um, I, I you know, it's always fun to kind of share those experiences together. Well, I think that you guys are just sweet dudes and are super easy to get along with. So it makes it easier for other people to get along with you when you guys are so great, you know? Oh, I appreciate so. it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that must be it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking of tours, man, um, you sat the last run out. Uh, that was with Seven Kingdoms and Unleash the Archers. Yeah. Uh, why? Why was that, man? Why do? Why do you sit out on the first tour yeah. back? You know, it was not an g- easy choice for me to say the least. Mm-hmm. But it was sh- purely work reasons, to be honest. Um, so we had a tour lined up this December. Um, you know, prior to this, uh, sept- this the tour we did in September um, with Unleash the Archers and Seven Kingdoms. So I couldn't do both for this specific year. I had to kind of like pick and choose. All right, well, what, what do I do? You know, part of me at first was like, well, maybe I could do part of the tour because um, I could have maybe done some of it. But then it was sort of a matter of, well, logistically speaking, it might be more of a hassle for me to jump in either start the tour and jump out in the middle or, you know, start in the middle and then just finish it off. So, uh, it was a hard decision to make because, you know, not only did I want to do this tour cause I wanted to play with these bands, but you know, you add the pandemic on top of that. We hadn't played a show in like a year and a half plus. Right. So yeah, to be missing the first tour back, the first shows we were going to be playing back at it. I was super, super bummed, you know, to, to have to make the decision not to do it. Um, you know, that being said, when it came to figuring out, you know, well, who's like the first kind of person that makes the most sense, uh, immediately thought of, uh, John Tichu, who's the drummer of Wilderun. Um, he, actually lives really close to where I live. Like he's like 15, 20 minutes from my house. 
So, um, and he's played, he actually covered for me one other time when um, I think we had a festival show in Baltimore or somewhere in Maryland that I could not do for some reason. I think I was in, like going to a wedding in a wedding or something like that. And uh, he filled in for me for that one show. So he already knew some of the songs um, that we were even going to be playing on, on the Unleash the Archer store. And he already played with us. He's good friends with everyone. You know, it just we've toured with him a bunch. It, it kind of was just sort of like the most obvious choice. Um, and, and it just worked out that he was available to do it. So, yeah, I got him to fill in for me, um, which worked out really well. And I did end up playing. There was a show in Greensboro, which is in North Carolina. And uh, we ended up working it out where I actually was able to play that one show, um, which was really fun. And then... I actually, the next show was in Atlanta, so I ended up driving down the next day and just going to the show. I didn't even play it. I just thought it would be really fun to go and, like, watch my band from the audience perspective. Like, I just thought the idea of that was really interesting because, I mean, I've never had that opportunity. And, like, you know, most people, when you play in a band, like, when do you get a chance to see your band play, right? Um, so I was like, that's kind of, like, an interesting thing. So, you know, I got to play one show, and then I got to go watch another show and that was a lot of fun and and it was kind of cool to see things from that you know perspective that's something i've always always wanted to do um and i kind of have been able to do that because there's been a couple bands that i've i've been a part of and then i left and somebody else filled my role and i got to see that band play the songs that i used to perform and uh like the band vesperia um, they got, uh, Dylan Gowan on drums and dude, this, this guy like rips way harder and way tighter than I ever did. So it was amazing getting to see the songs performed even better than I had ever performed them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was super sick. But it's one thing that's been really cool, uh, that I've always, always wanted to see Crimson, uh, with somebody else behind the kit, um, just so I could stand back and watch and actually see us from that perspective as well in the crowd. But yeah, that's awesome. You got to you got to do both. Uh, yeah, back to night. back. Yeah, back to back. That's kind of cool, man. It, it was crazy, so, man. It was uh, it, it was interesting, and like you know, it's also interesting to see. Okay, like John's a very different drummer than me. Like we have very different approaches when it comes to playing. And he kind of t had, we, you know, we let him sort of like, hey, you, you're playing the songs, right? But like, you can put your sort of feel into this if you want. And he did. And it was interesting to see like what someone else would interpret these songs and, and how, how would they play them, um, which was kind of cool to see it from that as well. Yeah, that's always interesting, man. Um, just because every drummer is different. I've talked about it on here a couple of times about how how drumming's almost it's it's a lot like cooking. Uh, and how every every player will have their own like set of spices that they bring to the table uh, and their own like a, a different approach to each dish right so yep. uh, yeah it, it it is really cool hearing uh, somebody else's take on what you uh, used to play or or what you wrote and then somebody taking that on and I like I don't like following other drummers um drums too closely like uh, i'm currently filling in for a band at a hamilton called lotharo and when i'm learning their songs i will i'll listen to the songs a fair bit but i'll more just like make sure i have the transitions down and i know what beats go with each feel right yeah but man i i my huge passion about drumming is about being in the moment and playing um, my own style and my own feel. And the guys are super down with it. Like everybody seems super supportive of the way that I approach all the parts. So that's good. There's just, there's always like small parts that they look at me like, are you going to pause here? Are you going to do it? This, like, you know, like <laughs> those things. Cause we don't get to jam all that often, but For uh, sure. yeah, other, other than that, man, they're super open to, to me doing my thing. And, and I love that. Uh, if guys are like, no, you, you have to play it exactly how we wrote it in these MIDI files. Like, and it's probably not the band for me then. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I think, you know, yeah. I, I think there's a place for that sort of like 
replication um you know maybe if it's like a, a legacy band or a huge band where you're like all right like people are expecting like those parts to be as they are you know to some degree right like um, and maybe in some of those contexts, all right, like you want to try to like pay homage to like the the, the original sort of you know structures as much as possible. But I think in a lot of cases, yeah, I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you're serving the song and, and you're playing the parts and, and it's still serving the song, then you know, of course, you make it your own, right? Like that's that's the uniqueness of of playing an instrument, everyone has a different taste and take on things. And, and you kind of think, I think it's important to be able to inject that, you know, when, when you can for sure. Now, when you guys are writing, do you guys write, uh, MIDI drums first, as far as like the pre-production stands, is that your approach or do you guys like write music in a, no, I'm pretty sure you guys like write music in a DAW and kind of share files and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, I mean, so Jake is the primary, you know, composer songwriter for the band, at least when it comes to formula, formally formalizing, you know, the sections and kind of getting things started. Um, but we all, you know, kind of contribute in once the structure is starting to take shape. Um, but it all kind of starts. Yeah. Jake will sort of begin with like, he, he tends to use this like zither instrument. Um, I think he uses like Cubase or something and that's like his go-to, like it's basically like his simulation for guitar, even though it sounds nothing like a guitar, (laughs) but that's how (laughs) he writes like his melodies and like chord progressions and whatever, you know? And so it starts there. He'll, he'll usually lay down like, uh, some MIDI drums just to kind of like get a feel and start taking, you know, getting things to take shape a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I mean, you know, it, it, to start, once it gets to a point where it's like, all right, these ideas are stewing together and they're starting to form something. Um, there will become a point where we all demo it out. Like, so like, you know, Heinrich and Donnie will track their guitar parts. Um, and then I have an electronic kit at my home. So, uh, I will start. We haven't been doing this much since I just got a kit like maybe a year and a half ago or so. But I think for our next album, we'll probably demo out drums using the electronic kit and all that just because it's super easy. We can just, you know, use MIDI, bring it in. Um, it'll kind of mesh well with everything that they're doing on their end. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the process typically for how we sort of like write the songs and, and everything. Yeah. Now, your album... Redneck Vikings from Hell came out May 1st, 2020. <laughs> yep. How, now, obviously, you guys had the album written, ready for release well before we knew that we were going to go into a two-year lockdown pandemic. Um, but <laughs> what did you guys push back the album date at all? Or was May 1st like your set date for releasing everything to begin with yeah i mean so we were actually originally supposed to release it sooner we were going to release it i think in 2019 like towards the end of the year um but there was some pushback on our end basically we just wouldn't have had the album done in time for that to happen and we were like well we don't want to sacrifice quality you know what i mean like and and so we're like, we need more time, you know, to get this album completely finished. And so they're like, all right, we, we planned for a May release date. Um, and, you know, everything seemed good <laughs> for the first few months. Like we ended up playing 70K in January, which was like a great way to start 2020. And we're like, this is going to be the best year ever. Like we're playing this sick ass like cruise and then we're going to release our album in a few months. And then we're going to do this uh, headlining tour with Paladin, which is a uh, a sick power metal band out of Atlanta. Um, and yeah, like everything was lining up to be good. But then obviously as we all came to, fi- you know, came to find out like shit hit the fan. Um, but when that happened, I think it was so like, un- we were just weren't sure at the time. Right. Like, cause I want to say it was like maybe April, March, April, when things started kind of like, we were like, uh, this is not looking good. Um, and we weren't even sure, like, the tour we were we were planning wasn't even, like, it was so, like, tentatively a go. I forget when it got to the point where it was like, all right, yeah, this is not happening anymore. Um, but it, it kind of pressed up so close to our release 
that we just kind of stuck with it. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that. But to be honest, like, you know, at the very least, releasing the album during the pandemic, I mean, it, it gave something new to the people who listen to our music to kind of buy, you know, for that duration of time when nothing was happening and everybody was stuck home, at least, at least there was something that was put out that they could like chew on for a while, you know, even though it did suck really bad that we couldn't go out and tour and play these new songs. Um, I still think, you know, it was probably the right call for the time, but yeah, when, when we were going through it, it, it was just sort of like definitely one of those things that was just like, well, we don't know if this is, are we going to be able to tour or not tour? And then it just kind of was so close to that launch day. It was just like, well, we're just, we're just going to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, dude, I will say, uh, from my perspective, I was glad that you guys put it out. Cause I, I recall when it got released, I was started to do like a lot of the spring cleanup and, and everything in my yard. And I just like put it on with headphones and I like, like rake the whole yard or was doing all this like yard work cleanup while listening to that record when it first came out. So oh, awesome. And so it gave you some yeah, company so, then that's good. <laughs> yeah, dude, absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, like, because, uh, tarot is such a fucking killer record as well. And you guys kind of, I don't want to say took it in a different direction, but your sound has consistently, uh, been evolving. Um, and I think like, even with like Jake's writing style and his, well, especially his vocals as well. Um, and having that time at home to just like, kind of, even though I was like busy doing stuff, I was listening to the full album, uh, and giving it the attention to actually like kind of immerse myself in the record rather than just like putting it on in the car or putting it on while I'm doing like something random or something in the, you know, in the background, I actually like sat down and listened to the record and it gave me a chance to really appreciate his new kind of approach to the melodic vocals that he does. And uh, the the whole like kind of melodic sense of of your new record, because uh, I, I I'm sure that people uh, flip flop either way. You guys get people who are like, oh no, like I want it to be faster and heavier, and you know more blast beats and everything. Which more blast beats is always a good thing, <laughs> always. <laughs> but uh, you know, like because. I, I don't want to say that it's softer, um, some of the songs on the new record, because uh, it's definitely heavier in different ways. Um, there's definitely a more uh, kind of like emotional weight to this record and that you can definitely feel on tarot as well. Uh, you guys put a lot into your music and, and it to me it shows and I feel it. So, and I know that I, several of my, my friends as well, my, my good buddy and, uh, you know, my old vocalist, Johnny, no cash, he absolutely fell in love with tarot. Like out of nowhere, he's like, have you heard of this band? I'm like, I know the, yeah, of course I know those guys. And (laughs) he's like, dude, this album is so fucking amazing. And like, he lost his shit when he found, found that record and started listening to it. So, and I think that the, the new record is no different. Um, it's definitely it it it, it has a, a, some some more ear candy to it for sure, but uh, you know I I think that's a good thing, man. Absolutely, and uh, dude, I love the new record. I can't wait to hear it to hear some of these tracks live. Um, so that that being said, dude, uh, this upcoming tour that you guys have starting in December, you're going to be on that, right? You're you're playing that tour with the guys and it's going to be sick. Dude, I'm I'm all in, baby. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be able to, you know, hang out. I feel like it's nice because it's like I get to still experience touring with both of these bands when I didn't get a chance to before. So I'm thankful that I get the opportunity to actually do this one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, dude, touring the new stuff's been fun. Like, you know, that tour was the first time, you know, we've played any of those new songs. Um, and 
it's those songs I feel like translate pretty well live. I mean, they're you know, like Guardian, for example, is like our ballad song, I guess you could say, which we've never done a song like that. Um, I remember when Jake wrote that song specifically, you know, we're like, oh, that's interesting, like, you know. When he was start writing it, I was like, "Is that is that an Aetherrealm song, or is that uh, just a Jake writing his own thing for fun?" Because he tends to write he writes lots of different types of music, even outside of Aetherrealm, just you know for fun because he likes to do that. Um, and he's like, "No, I think this might be an Aetherrealm song." And I was like, "Okay," and then I wasn't sure how it would translate for our fans or people who are used to tarot, for example, like. It was such a different song, right? Like we've never created anything that like that before, and it ends up ends up being that like that song is like one of the most requested songs that people want to see live. Which is, I don't know. I guess I just didn't expect that. I think lyrically, it just like struck a chord with a lot of people during the pandemic, specifically. Uh, you know, because everyone's going through a really tough time. You know, people are literally dying. People are losing their jobs. You know, it's it's a really hard time for the entire world. And I think in some interesting way, when that song was put out at that time, people just like connected to that for some of those reasons. And when it became a time for us to play it live, it's just like, they just be like, yeah, I want to see that song live. And we're like, okay. So, you know, I guess part of me is sort of surprised by some of the songs that people seem to gravitate towards on this new record. Um, and yeah, man, it's, uh, it's just super fun to play, and it's nice to finally be able to play some of those songs after a year and a half, you know, play them in front of people. Yeah, not just playing them in uh, in the jam space or on your e-kit. Exactly, <laughs> you <know>? exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what I was talking about with, like, like Guardians, for example. Uh, it's It may not be heavy as in, like, oh, it's crushing guitars, but, like, lyrically... And emotionally, it's heavy. Yeah, and I and that's why it 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 struck a chord with so many of your fans and everything, and me included. Man, that song when I first heard it, I was like, "What is this wimpy ballad these guys are doing?" And, <laughs> yeah, and then I gave it a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth listen. I'm like, "Holy fuck, this song is fucking awesome," um, you know, and. Cause even me being like OG fan that I am, I'm like, I want that like, you know, like Finnish kind of melodic folk, black metal, Aether Realm back. But I'm the more I, the older I get and the more like kind of, I guess, mature in a way I get, I realize that bands need to evolve naturally. And, and as much as like we do as, as people as well. And you, what you guys did back in, was that like 2012, I think yep. that EP was, yep. you know, that was a, a point in time where you guys were at and where you guys were influenced and, and everything like that in your lives. And you're not going to write songs necessarily like that ever again. Cause that was a point in time. And you know, I have to somewhat, you know, come to terms with that and, <laughs> you know, enjoy, yeah. enjoy what you guys are writing now. Uh, and those songs will always be there. Oh, for sure. They'll always for sure, be man. fucking awesome. Well, you guys probably won't play them live and I have, you know, that's fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know, and the thing is like, you know, some people aren't going to like some of the new stuff and, and that's just reality, right? Like, and that's okay because mm -hmm. you can't appeal to everyone. I think at the end of the day, it's, you write music for yourself. You know, you, you, you have, you created something that people kind of have, some people have attached themselves to, but it, if you start writing music for other people and trying to produce something that people are familiar with and are, and enjoy, and that's, you're kind of like, in a way you try to pigeonhole yourself into something that is a formula that works or has worked. Um, I think, you know, that can be stifling for a band. Uh, and, and some, there's plenty of bands out there that I love that have a sound that's pretty consistent throughout their entire career and it, and it works and it's great. Um, but I think for us, you know, we didn't want to be a band that did the same thing or a similar thing over and over and over again. I think we've always, had as a band and each of us individually enjoy lots of different styles of metal and other types of music in general. And we kind of tried to bring some of those things 
into the fold when it comes to writing our own music. Um, and you know, I, it's all about exploration and trying things, you know, uh, and the thing that we did on this last album, I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty is not going to be the thing we're doing on our next album. So that being said, it's like, you know, every album is an evolution and, and it's sort of an, this exploration and finding ourselves, who are we as a band? Um, where, where are we going? You know, and, and I think with Redneck Vikings from Hell specifically, that was a play. It was a chance for us to kind of explore a bunch of different sides of what we could be, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and there's no conceptual sort of like overarching theme with it. It's just sort of a collection of individual songs that is purely a, sort of an evolution and exploration for Aether Realm. But I do think the next album... Corey, I think you may, you know, you may dig it. I think it might take, it's going to take things in a direction that, you know, maybe fans of Tarot or even fans of One, Cho uh, One Chosen might, might really dig. So that's, uh, that's exciting to hear, man. That <laughs> it really is. I, I love the new record. I love everything that you guys have done. Um, but that it's exciting to hear that you, you might, you might bring back the, some of the old, I would I would like to think that you would just maybe like grab some of the old elements of what you're doing because I I feel like you guys are always going to progress, man. You're one of those one of those bands that you're always moving forward, um, and I in my experience, the bands that are the most successful are always the ones that never want to redo what they've already done. Right. Yeah. You never want, you never like, Oh, well, like let's just write that song was a hit. So let's just write another one of those. Like, why would you do that? You want to write something new that's going to be a hit or, you know? Oh, for sure. I, I just feel like, like personally I'd get maybe bored of it. You know what I mean? Like, and it'd be so yeah. easy to do, right? Like it, it'd be so easy to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And some bands do it, like that's I said, it, and it works and it's fine. And, and they, you know, I have no complaints about it, but I just think for us, it's like, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think we're just trying to constantly evolve and that sounds going to change with that evolution and whether it's, hey, yeah, like, you know, maybe next album pulls some of the epic things that we've done in some of our previous albums, but it's still not going to sound like those albums. It's still going to be new and different, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, absolutely. All right. Um, so let's talk about drums a little bit. Uh, what... What gear are you rocking? What kind of kit are you playing? Do you uh, do you stick with one brand of cymbals, or uh, what do you what do you got going yeah, yeah. on gear wise behind the kit? Sure, man. man. Let's let's give let's, the let's get listeners to... a little bit of gear talk <laughs> at least. Yeah, you know? for sure, for sure. So right now, I uh, I play Tama. I've been playing Tama. Man, I don't know for sounds like in high school maybe. Um, and I just really like their drums. You know, like I. I used to have uh, Thomas Superstar, I think it was an effects kit. It had like this really cool wrap uh, that was like kind of like a holographic card almost. It was like very shiny and depending on how you looked at it, it was like this really wavy, trippy kind of thing, but uh, it looked really cool. Um, I think that was a Birch kit. I had that for a while. And then Sick. my kit after that, which is actually still my current kit, uh, I bought was a Thomas Star Classic Babinga kit, which was like... Ooh. The kit I've always wanted at the time, and mm -hmm. and I love it, man. It it's been such a good kit for me. I I love Babinga wood. I think Babinga sounds great. Like it's just like really warm, and you know the drums are so like you can tune them really low, and they sound super heavy and deep, and like just amazing wood. And they look really nice. Like the wood itself looks great. Um, so I've I've had that kit for a while. So that's my current uh, kit, and it's just simple setup, man. It's like literally two rack, one floor. Um, Though I am, for the past maybe year or so, I've been debating. I'm definitely going to get a new kit in the near future. I've been debating on what that kit is. Um, I definitely want to stick with Tama, but I'm looking for a different configuration. I'm thinking I might do like, you know, 8, 10, 12 rack and then do like a 14, 16 floor or maybe a 16, 18 possibly. Uh, Ooh, are you going to go two kick drums as well? Are you going to get a so, big boy kick? So, look, Is that what you're I, doing? I sh I've <laughs> thought about doing two kick drums before. The reason I I only have a single kick, and the reason is simply for purely because it's just easier to lug around, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just for ease of use and touring and stuff. 
That being said, man, I I wouldn't be opposed to trying to double, to do two kicks. I think from like a, a purely visual standpoint, anytime I see a band with two kick drums, it just looks so sick. You know what I mean? Uh, of yeah, course, you know what I mean because so you rock the double kicks. So. Fuck it, um, so I don't know, man. I'm not opposed to it. There may be, who knows, I might do the transition. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I definitely want like up my configuration though. I, I've, my electronic drum set, I have three rack and one floor and I've been really enjoying having that extra smaller Tom. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be nice to have two floors as well. You know, I've seen a lot of drummers like, you know, Alex Runiger and stuff like have like one tom to the left and one tom to the right. This very symmetrical setup, and I always like think that's a cool look. You might even do that. Do you do that as well? Dude, I'm doing that right now. Okay. I'm doing. I only have two rack toms currently on my new Mapex kit. Mm-hmm. So I do. I do eight. No, I do. Sorry, ten, twelve up top, and then fourteen on the left and sixteen on the right. Oh, nice. And I, I love like it, it, man. Yeah. I, I tried it way back when. Um, and I found every time I went to use my left floor Tom, I'd always hit it off my hi-hat or like there's always symbols in the way. And I, I had terrible stick control as mm-hmm. well. Right. So now that like I'm correcting my poor technique and like I'm, I'm getting, uh, I guess like better at my instrument to some degree, yeah. I, I feel more comfortable putting that in there. Uh, and it's sick, man. Even just for like heavy accent hits, having it open, so you like open chest and like on stage, you just feel more powerful Dude, doing it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that setup would be so sick, man. Like that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, um, that's kind of like my goal with the, that setup. but dude, your new kit, by the way, the Mapex, I think I saw you post a picture. It looks so nice, man. Like I love that finish. It looks sick. Yeah, dude. Everyone's saying they love the finish. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest Uh-oh. and I, dude, I love <laughs> I love Mapex. I love my new kit, everything like that. I still have a kit on order from Mapex. Oh, this was okay. not the kit that I ordered originally. They had such like a backlog uh, because of the pandemic and this, that, the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine was like a custom order because I wanted it like certain depth toms and this that the other thing yep. and the finish um they didn't have in stock it was like it was a whole ordeal okay so i i bought this kit to have in the meantime so i uh i just can't wait to get the actual kit that i ordered because that is an 8 10 12 uh rack and then 14 16 floors as well two 22 inch kicks the same same idea right but in a different finish right right okay uh, i gotcha well well, yeah it's nice you have an interim kit you know like that's not a bad interim kit (laughs) oh dude 100 percent. no i love this kit man uh it's it's fucking sick i am so so stoked to to be a part of the mapex team and dude i will say though tama tama would be like my my runner up uh to play for man because dude they are tama makes a fucking mighty kit man i have uh one of their mid-level uh with a tama superstar hyperdrive i think it is mm-hmm. yep and dude it's sick man it's a birch kit birch shells and i love it man it's it's fucking badass so well speaking of mapex i maybe mm-hmm. a year ago or so i've got my main snare currently is a mapex sledgehammer so it's that brass snare oh you bastard. Oh, they you stopped bastard. making them, didn't they? So I like They stopped oh. making them. So I I just got the the uh predecessor to the sledgehammer cuz the sledgehammer is a 14 by 7, right? Yeah, I think it's that's 70. It. Yeah, I think it's 70. So the new one they have is a 1.2 mil or 1.3 uh Either way, it's a, a the same idea of brass uh, hammered, but it's only it's fourteen by six and a half. Okay, so it's a little shallower. Uh, yeah, it's the persuader, mm-hmm. uh, and I just picked that up. I just got it um, last week, and it's fucking sick. Yeah, but like I'm it? still like, dude, I love it. I, I this is my first brass snare, and I've said I've been saying for like the last like eight, 10 months. I'm like, I need a brass snare. I just, I don't have one. I have a couple steel snares. I have, uh, a, a, a walnut. I have maple, you know, like all these different woods and everything, yeah. but I don't have a fucking brass snare and I need one. I love it, man. So, I think those, those brass snares sound so good. 
they're just like especially yeah. the and yours is probably similar to some degree and sonically but yeah man they just crack like you can they have such to me yeah. mine has like a huge tuning range it's just like it's so versatile and and sounds really really good and it projects so much you know oh dude it's so loud like i haven't actually sat down and and fucked with it tuning wise or anything um i haven't really had that much time i think i got it on like thursday and i had rehearsal uh on saturday and that was the first time i literally just set it down and you know we we mic up everything and run full in-ear setup and everything like that live okay so just hearing it like under the mics with a little bit of eq and compression Mm -hmm. it was like Oh fuck, buddy! It's so nice. <laughs> so like, good. yeah, I was like, I'm not gonna touch the tuning, not gonna bother. Like, I just want to play it right now. You know, yep. like I, I, I can't even like keep my sticks out of my hands because I just, it felt so good to play. And I'm gonna be honest, man, it's, it's not all the time that I get really excited about playing drums. Like, I've gone through stints where it's like it's really hard to get behind my kit and pick up the sticks. Um, either like I'm not happy with it or I'm just like physically and mentally exhausted. But after getting this snare, like all I want to do is play drums right now. All I want to do. And they say gear doesn't matter. Gear, gear inspires say, yeah. people, man. Oh, for like, sure. I've been there though. Dude. I've been there where you're like, there's times where I'm like, I just don't have the inspiration or I just don't have the motivation or whatever to want to play. Like it just, whenever I get behind a kid, I'm like, Oh man, like this, I'm just not feeling it. Right. And then, but it's weird. Mm -hmm. Like how certain things like that can just totally like re-inspire you to want to play again, you know? Um, and, and it can be as simple as like you said, just getting a new snare drum. You're like, Oh man, this thing's sick. Like I'm stoked. I want to play all the time so I can play this, you know? Um, so I think those things are important, you know, like you said, I mean, gear shouldn't, you know, it can inspire for sure. So yeah, dude, all I wanted to do is blast. I, <laughs> I felt like I could, I could, <laughs> I felt like my blast beats were, were faster on the snare for some reason. I don't know. Hey man, could like be. it was just, it was just easier. Everything felt easier mm-hmm. when I was playing with that snare. It makes zero sense. <laughs> Even my kicks, everything just my, I, I felt so good and I just like yeah I, it, it was awesome we had an amazing rehearsal uh, we do we played songs that I'd never played with the band they're like yeah let's try it uh, I, I'd barely even listened to the song before and we went into it and I was like we like pretty much nailed it other than a couple of flubs here and there it was like fuck this feels really awesome alright cool man like yeah it was sick dude that's right. good times man. yeah that's good yeah, man, man. Yeah. All right, dude. Um, let's wrap things up here. We've been going for about an hour. Um, I just want to say to anybody out there who a hasn't heard Aether Realm, go check out all their shit. Redneck Vikings from Hell is out on Napalm Records. Uh, go check out all their back catalog. They are fucking badass. Uh, I don't care what you usually listen to. Just go check it out. And Tyler's a fucking ripper on the kit. So I'm, you're guaranteed to enjoy it. And tickets are currently on sale for the Abyss Strikes Back tour with Unleash the Archers, Aether Realm, and Seven Kingdoms, Canada and U.S., uh, we got, uh, what Minneapolis, Milwaukee, uh, Gillette, uh, Indianapolis, Pontiac, Cleveland, Reading, Rochester, Cambridge, Brooklyn, and then Montreal, Ottawa and ending in Toronto, which you can see if you're from Toronto, which a lot of you probably are, you can see, uh, me play with Lotharo opening up that show. So that is at the Opera House. It's going to be sick. Woo-hoo. Get your tickets now. We're going to fucking party it up hard after that one, man. Dude, I'm so stoked. Um, and it's, it's yeah, awesome to end it in Toronto. We've done that twice, I think. And what a, what a better way, you know? Just end it there and you're going to be playing. It's going to be sick, man. Dude, it's gonna be so sick. I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped, man. I think that I think we got started talking about that, and I was like, "Fuck it, dude. We we should do a fucking podcast now." <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I appreciate you inviting dude. me on, man. It's been a lot of fun. Dude, absolutely. I feel like we could uh, keep talking. We might have to do a part two of this because I I know there's like a million other things that we could go on about. 
Um, but yeah, we'll definitely do a part two in the future. Maybe we'll do it live Ooh, in Toronto. That could be fun. Ooh, that might be interesting. Yeah, man. All right. So anyone out there, be on the lookout for that. Uh, December 20th, Toronto Opera House. Go get tickets now. The Abyss Strikes Back tour. All right. Tyler, thank you very much. Dude. Have a good day, my friend. Thank you, man. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then don't forget to share with your friends, post on social media, and tag us. If you're listening on Apple Music, then please leave us a review. And if you're on Spotify, give us a follow. If you want to continue this conversation even further, then join us on Facebook on our We're Talking Drums community group. Till next time, keep drumming.